politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back to the Conservative Review podcast, fellow patriots, as we power through this week. It's already Thursday. So much to talk about. I'm telling you, I have between today and tomorrow's show so much material that has nothing whatsoever to do with impeachment, but it has everything to do with the future of our entire civilization, our culture, our security, who we are as a people. And none of this is being addressed. All of this is really at play so long as we have Trump as president where he can make a difference, but only if we push him to focus on these issues, push him to make the right personnel and policy choices. That is why you guys turn into this show every day. You could subscribe to our CR YouTube channel, like our video. And I like uh, when you guys drop some comments. Um, I don't always see them, but I try to look at them. One of you left a comment. You're sick of this cotton candy news. And you know you're not going to get the cotton candy here. And that's true. We're going to give you the, you know, hardcore steak and whiskey. And speaking of steak and whiskey, today I was originally going to be in our D.C. office to have on Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri. Um, he wants to come on the show, but it didn't work out with his schedule. Hopefully, we're going to have him on next week. But I want to talk about his seminal foreign policy speech, Rethinking America's Foreign Policy Consensus. And I don't want to get into that too much today. We're going to get into that when we have him on. But I want to use that as a launching point for our broader theme of how the biggest national security threat, both from terrorism, from cultural subversion, and from espionage, espionage in particular, is through this immigration malware, cultural malware. I want you to think of something for a minute. Think of this analogy. It's almost Black Friday. You know, we don't do Thanksgiving anymore in this country. It's all about Black Friday now. Um, and I'm saying that facetiously. Where basically, uh, everyone wants to buy electronics, buy computers. Let's say you are willing to purchase the most expensive advanced computer ever. I mean, unlimited amount of money. <laughs> it could do anything, a super powerful computer. That's great. And it could do anything you want. But let's say you purchase the computer and you get one of those emails spam that says, you know, these IRS scams open up this email. The IRS wants to speak to you. And then you would open up a zip file and it would contain Trojan horses and malware and viruses. Well, that's going to kill your computer. Folks, that is the analogy of America. The way it fits into the world vis-a-vis -vis homeland security policy foreign policy, national security policy, all coming together. As we say all the time, culture, drugs, gangs, espionage, whether it's from China, Iran, Russia, um, terrorism, Islamic terrorism, you have to bring it into your country. We could spend $800 billion every year on a military and national defense all we want. And we could project our power overseas all we want, usually in the wrong way. But if you don't address the threats where they are, and certainly if you bring the problem through immigration into your country, well, there's nothing to talk about. Now, just as a, as a basis, he really 
touched on this third way, a third way vision that many of us have been pushing that eschews this false dichotomy between are you an isolationist or an interventionist? Um, are you a hawk or a dove? No, it's a matter of identifying our zones of interest and using the proper tools to de deal with the proper threat and then not dealing with what doesn't threaten us. I'm just going to read to you a couple of sentences before we move to move on to the main course here. And so he said. Almost 30 years ago, George H.W. Bush spoke eloquently of a new world order in the aftermath of the Cold War, a new era of universal liberal values. Instead, at this hour, we find ourselves embroiled in the longest war in our nation's history with no discernible end in sight, frequently at odds with our European allies over matters small and large, divided at home searching for purpose abroad. And all the while, the greatest threat to our nation's security in decades rises in the East in the form of a martial expansionist China. It is my argument to you today that our present foreign policy consensus, the cast of mind and expectations embraced by both major parties for the last 20 years, is not adequate to our time, and it is not right for our future. This consensus has distracted us from the dangers at hand, it has left us unprepared for the challenges we face, and it has been rejected by the people of this nation. I'm talking about the consensus I will call progressive universalism, the consensus of the new world order built around American hegemony and the goal of extending multilateral rules-based patterns of cooperation to the entire international system. The consensus anticipated expected the steady expansion of progressive ideas, progressive institutions, and progressive values worldwide. And both of our major political parties embrace this vision, though in different guises. And he goes on to explain how the Republicans and Democrats are two sides of the coin. And look, you know, so many senators that have been elected this term, they're in the witness protection program. What have we seen from them? Hawley has actually led on, obviously, the Silicon Valley monopoly and censorship. He's good on immigration. He's one of the few who's good on crime as a former prosecutor. And now he's taking the lead on finally defining a conservative foreign policy. And he goes on to talk eventually about the threat of China. He talks about what we shouldn't be doing. And then he says, that's exhausting, as we always say here, our resolve and resources to deal with the real threat and that's china so he says here now we must gird ourselves for a new effort because new challenges await and new dangers rise and in the world's most critical of regions the indo-pacific it is here in asia that the great security challenges of the 21st century are playing out and it is here that any policy centered on American interests must focus. And he goes on to say that basically the Chinese are, um, it's not just about trade and investment. It's not only about programs like the Belt and Road Initiative, which seek to bend the wealth of the world to the Chinese Communist Party. It's far more than that. China brazenly bullies our allies and partners aggressively militarizes rocks in the sea, and openly seeks control of the entire region. <clears throat> we see this in Hong Kong, where promises are broken and violence escalates and basic liberties are restricted. We see it in Taiwan. 
We see it even in our own corporations like Disney and the NBA who throw overboard free speech at the first sign of Beijing's commercial pressure. Remember, the subversion on our own soil. And he gets back to this. Um, and he talks about how they affect our own culture. The reality is it has been in front of us for those who care to look. Talks about manufacturing jobs. Um, and China's bid for domination is the greatest security threat to this country in this century. And our foreign policy around the globe must be oriented to this challenge and focus principally on this threat. And, you know, he, he goes through different things. <coughs> in particular, you know, we really need to corner Latin America and India, which are very close to getting in their corner. We need to use the tools of statecraft. And he makes it very clear that, let me be clear, our task is not to remake China from within. Rather, it is to deny Beijing's ability to impose its will without. Okay? We cannot remake every nation our image, but what we can do is act in a manner that reflects America's character. I tell you today, our foreign policy can change and must change. Again, we'll go into that later. But I've said this all along. Nobody could threaten our homeland militarily at this point. Islamic terror cannot do it. It's only if you let in, through immigration, the cultural subversion, the kinetic terrorists, the espionage. China is the only one that is getting very close to the point where they could rival us. And we need to use the statecraft throughout the world, proper alliances. Everything needs to be oriented towards combating that. But even China, and this is I'm adding on to Holly's speech to launch the main course of today's show. Even China at present, its main threat to us, what? Stealing of intellectual property. The malware, literal malware, but also immigration malware. And espionage, <coughs> trade secrets. <coughs> where, where is that coming from? That is primarily coming through immigration. We bring in roughly 80,000 LPRs from China every single year. We bring in, we right now have 350,000 foreign students from china remember this is a country that seeks it's not even like russia that has certain prerogatives they want to be the america of the 21st century and their version of america is obviously dominion over the world not being a force for good and they will do everything they can so if you let in malware you open it up Hundreds of thousands of Chinese, millions of Chinese, millions upon millions. And I will be the first to tell you, unlike from Somalia and many other countries, we've had a lot of good people from there. Very productive, smart, contribute to America. But when you have that many people, do we have any way of vetting the endless Chinese agents that are coming in and then also 
as has been said before, even those, we read this from a CNN article a couple of weeks ago, even those who aren't brought in as agents, they're decent people, but their families are back home. And the Chinese, if they get into a hyper-technical academic or scientific field with defense contractors in America, they will find out who they are, they know who they are, and they will call them up and blackmail them. When you are at a state of cold war, really it's hot war. It's 20, warfare in the 21st century is going to be asymmetrical warfare. The biggest tool that Russia, China, Iran, or any other threat were Hezbollah, Sunni, jihadist groups, all of them together, but we're going to start off with China, that they have with us is the malware that they could bring in through the pipeline of immigration. If they can't get into the country, they can't really attack us. I mean, you could originate cyber attacks overseas, but in terms of a lot of the intellectual um, property theft, the trade secrets, um, the espionage, obviously the kinetic terrorists or um, hostile agents, they have to get in the country. So, you know, this is where our foreign policy ties into the glue of immigration policy. It's been one of our biggest themes from day one. Where am I coming from? Let me, let me begin here. This happened just Tuesday. Now, the case is from a little while ago, from last year, but the guy pled guilty. This is from the Department of Justice. Chinese national pleads guilty to committing theft of trade secrets. Hong Jing Tan, a 35-year-old Chinese national and a U.S. legal permanent resident, meaning he has a green card, <laughs> pleaded guilty Tuesday in federal court, this was in Oklahoma, to committing theft of trade secrets from his employer, a U.S. petroleum company. Tan pleaded guilty to theft of a trade secret, unauthorized transmission of a trade secret, and unauthorized progression of a trade secret. The defendant stole the information from a U.S.-based petroleum company regarding the manufacture of a research and development downstream energy market product that is worth more than a billion dollars. This is a quote from the U.S. attorney Trent Shores from the Northern District of Oklahoma. China's economic aggression poses a threat to America's emerging high technology industries. Industrial spies like Han Jintan engage in espionage to steal American trade secrets and intellectual property born out of innovation that is innate in our free market system. Thanks to a vigilant company and the investigative efforts of the FBI, Hun Jintan was caught red-handed and prosecuted. Um, this is from the assistant U.S. attorney. Tan's guilty plea continues to fill in the picture of China's theft of American intellectual property. Um, trade secret theft is a serious crime which hurts American businesses and taxpayers. The FBI will continue to protect our country's industries from adversaries who attempt to steal valuable research. Um, and you could see they go on to talk about what happened there. Could you imagine how many more people there are like this? And you're going to see, I'm going to talk about an Iranian and I'm going to have an article out on that today. We take people from Islamic countries, from China, communist China, adversaries that we know. It's not just maybe this will happen. Their modus operandi is to do this. Um, we're going to put up on the screen here this quote from the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence, their annual um, threat assessment report, 
where they spell out China, Russia, and Iran as specific threats that they want to get people into this country and and engage in espionage and and take trade secrets and work for a sensitive academic, scientific, defense contractor or very important economic um, industries of this country and, and send it back to China. I mean, that is how China has gotten there. You know, my dad um, had to take a trip to China and it was very brave of him. He once got so pissed off, they tried to bribe him on something and he just like blew up out of nowhere. He said, you guys steal every damn thing that we make. Why can't you ever do anything on your own? I mean, it was very brave of him and the company didn't want him to go back after he said that. And, and everyone knows, and, and I'll tell you, we're a very divided country, but everyone hates the Chinese. I mean, liberal, conservative, everyone, speak to anyone in the street. Everyone knows what they've done to us. Everyone knows what they want to do to us. This is such an opportunity to come together, orient our foreign policy towards them. But to orient our foreign policy, it's got to start with immigration. And I'll, again, I'll tell you, of all people, I like a lot of the Chinese people. But when have we ever let in hundreds of thousands of Chinese of people every year from a country that we are practically at war with? You can't because there's no way of vetting them. The Chinese are so good. They're going to have people with what's called a virgin background. Virgin, it's it's just completely scrubbed. It's new. There's nothing to it. They're very good at that. They're not going to have a guy that has flashing red lights on him. But the notion that we could just bring in people from these countries into highly technical academic fields, scientific fields and jobs, bring them in either on, you know, worker visas and um, F1 student visas, which we're going to talk about because student visas, there's a particular threat that there's an unlimited amount. If you could pay for it, you got it. And, and the education lobby is so strong because they want the wealthy people. Now think about it. Who are going to be the people working for, the Iranians, the Russians, the Chinese, you know, Sunni terrorist groups, they're not going to be poor slobs. They're, they're going to have an unlimited amount of money to sponsor um, their uh, education programs here. And the universities love it. But it's, it's one of the biggest threats. I mean, imagine if you have a computer and like your policy is you just click on every spam email you get. You know, th th there's just and especially when you know there's a concerted effort to trick you and do things like that. Well, I'll put in a good vetting system. No, don't freaking open up those spam emails. I'm sorry. That's just how it is. You can't have mass migration from countries at a time that we're at war with them. We've never done this before. This is why I tell you all the time we view immigration as like DHS. Before that, it was the Justice Department. But for most of our history, do you know who dealt with it? It was the State Department, because it was viewed as a consummate foreign policy issue, that if you're going to have large numbers of people from other countries coming in, you can't divorce the fact that they're coming with a certain prejudice from their countries, or if they personally aren't, certainly it might be a, an effort from those countries to screw us over with that. And that's why you have to have very good relations with them in order to have immigration. It, there's a lot of writings on it. It's, it's talked about a little bit in chapter six of my book, Stolen Sovereignty. Still available at Amazon, by the way. Um, but, but this is a no-brainer. 
I don't know, this guy got in about 12 years ago. I'm not sure what type of visa, if it was a student visa. I have a request into the Oklahoma U.S. Attorney's Office. But we've seen a tremendous amount of this. We talked about this a couple weeks ago with foreign students. But I want to read to you an article here that talks about this from the Confucius Institute, which is basically the education nonprofit NGO of China that's basically an arm of the Communist Party to spread around Chinese foreign students all over the country. This actually came from, um, this article is from the Asia Times. Gordon Watts came out uh, last week, November 8th. And it's based on um, a report that was recently done in, uh, by the British Parliament. A single sentence can trigger indignation from President Xi Jinping administration. Nearly everything apart from compliments is off limits in China. As the pro-democracy protests continue in Hong Kong, Beijing has reiterated constantly that foreign governments should stop interfering in its internal affairs. Um, to reinforce the argument, the state-run media trots out how the world's second largest economy abides by a non-interference policy when it comes to international relations. Um, but what she what what she did not, and they quote this woman, whatever, speaking on behalf of uh, uh, the Chinese Institute of Inter International Law at the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. Um, but what she did not realize was that her remarks were published just days after a damning report illustrated the depth and breadth of Beijing's foreign stealth attacks. Released by the British Parliamentary Foreign Affairs Committee, the study accused China of infiltrating university campuses across the United Kingdom and threatening academic freedom. So both espionage and cultural malware. And you'll see where I got that quote from. Um, and, and remember, this is a committee in the British Parliament. Okay, this is not like Frank Gaffney's, you know, think tank or some right wing thing. This is the wussy British Parliament. Official report. I haven't fully read it yet, but um, I'm just relying on this guy's reporting for now, just to be fully transparent. But quote, during this is a quote from the white paper entitled A Cautious Embrace Defending Democracy in an Age of Autocracies. During our inquiry into China and the rules-based international system, we heard alarming evidence about the extent of Chinese influence on the campuses of UK universities. Despite the fact that there are now over 100,000 Chinese students in the UK, the issue of Chinese influence has been the subject of remarkably little debate compared to that in Australia, New Zealand, and the U.S. Now, remember, they have 100,000. We have about 360,000 in our country. And we've had, I'm sure, over a million over the last number of years. The, the report was rushed out before Parliament goes into recess for next month's general elections, but it highlighted the risks posed by the Chinese Confucius Institute Linked to the Ministry of Education, the organization is officially a bridge between China and the rest of the world by promoting the nation's culture and language. Still, for a growing number of critics, the Institute is more hard-boiled than soft power. Confucius Institutes frequently attract scrutiny because of their close ties to the Chinese government. A stream of stories indicate that intellectual freedom, merit-based hiring policies, and other foundational principles of, higher of American higher education have received short shrift in the Confucius Institute, Institutes. Um, and they go on just to talk about the problems in New Zealand and Australia. Um, 
and how much money they make off of this stuff. It's, uh, it's really bad. It's bad. And um, at the end of 2018, there were more than 40,000 Chinese students studying in Australia, over 11,000 in New Zealand. Um, Beijing's influence on campuses is responsible for widespread self-censorship by universities and academics in Australia and New Zealand. And this is what we're seeing. They spread their people. They spread their influence. They spread their culture and language. They spread their money. And all of our institutions, whether it's the NBA, whether it's businesses, whether it's Silicon Valley, whether it's college campuses, they become influenced. Now look, to a certain extent, if they want to become influenced, they can become influenced. But what we can do at a governmental public policy level is businesses and universities don't have a right to bring in immigration. That belongs to the whole of the people. I always say that. That's why I'm opposed to this visa pork. Immigration has to be done from the whole of the people through very specific criteria, not to benefit this industry or for this. No. Will they benefit America's culture and certainly financially and security-wise, but you know, even culturally as a whole? And then they quote this Marshall Salins of University of Chicago. I want to get him on the show. He referred to the Confucius Institute as, quote, academic malware. That's where I got the term from. And he evidently has a book named Academic Malware on China's basically asymmetrical warfare, spreading their influence on our soil, spreading their espionage, the trade secrets. How in the world could anyone who works in Intel, in national security, in military, in homeland security, deal with China and not have as its first and foremost policy immigration restriction and to some level. That, that is their biggest conduit. But I'm telling you folks, their view is that immigration, mass immigration, I mean, like you could have some immigration from there, but it's our second large, I mean, after Mexico, it's the second largest sending country. Um, I'm talking about, I mean, a million LPRs over over a decade. I'm talking about a million foreign students over a decade. To them, it's worth it. So what if our intellectual property is stolen, if they steal our military secrets? It's the price worth paying for multiculturalism. In order to accentuate the threat from China, but also extend it to other countries, I want to give you another brand new case. This is from last Wednesday, an unsealed indictment last Wednesday. Basically, an Iranian national who slipped through immigration vetting was allowed in, who had previously served in the Iranian military, was caught sending trade secrets from. An aerospace contractor to his brother through email and his wife, who also came as a foreign student. When certainly you're not allowed to do that, it's Mark, these documents were marked confidential. His brother 
is in Iran working for basically what's the equivalent of Iran's Lockheed Martin. You know, it's like their defense contractor, but it's even stronger. It's literally a tool of the government working on their cruise missiles and um, nuclear weapons programs. So this guy, uh, what's his name? Yabadabadu, Hasan, Hasan Zada, Amin Hasan Zada, 42 years old, living in Michigan, of course. Um, he was indicted. Uh, he, he was arrested a while ago, but the indictment was unsealed in federal court in the Eastern District of Michigan um, last Wednesday. <clears throat> there is no, there's no uh, DOJ press release on this. I got the complaint from the the U.S. Attorney's Office, and basically I read it and 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 just looking at my notes here, I have an article out later today. Um, he's basically just accused of stealing technical data and schematics, all sorts of drawings, and sending it to his brother, Sina, and his wife via email. Now, this guy worked for, you know, previously he, it doesn't say who he worked for. They're not, it's, it's anonymous. It's unnamed. It's called uh, Company Victim A or something. You know how they write these complaints. Um, but, you know, from 2011 to 2013, he worked for Florida State University's Center for Advanced Power Systems, um, which spe- specializes in developing power electronics, computer designs, modeling, and simulation. He was a hardware, like a supercomputer hardware specialist. Um, smart guy, scientist. He had a PhD. But again, I mean, how do you take a guy like that when we've been at a state of war with Iran since 1979? And we let him in in December 2010 on a student visa, F1 visa. He upgraded to to a green card in 2013 with his background in engineering. And he comes for the purpose at working at academic places and eventually businesses dealing with defense contracting um, that could lead to military secrets, at the very least economic trade secrets and intellectual property. How the hell could we bring in, by my count, 222,000 Iranians on green cards since 2001? Yes, some of them were Ahis, whatever they're called, that persecuted minority, and some of them were Jews, but a heck of a lot of them were Muslims. 222,000, and God knows how many foreign students. We have currently about, um, what is it, 13,000? 12,800 Iranian students, at least for the previous academic year, studying here. Some of them could be fine people. Inevitably, they are. How in the world could we even vet this? I just don't understand it. This is unbelievable. The FBI believes that based on prior email correspondence with Sina, Amin sought this this job at this Michigan contractor for the very purpose of transforming information because they found emails where he corresponded with his brother in Iran about, hey, this will give me the ability to be up close to this and I'm going to use my skills and knowledge and you know experience to do this. So it wasn't just incidental. It was done for that purpose. And, you know, as we noted, as we noted, we Iran's espionage is not just through Iranian nationals. So look, to Trump's credit, 
he has they are on the travel ban immigration moratorium list. And I think this really underscores the need for that. Thank God he did it. But here's the problem. There are so many other countries where either we have espionage concerns of Russia, Cuba, China, or Islamic terrorism concerns of 50 other Islamic countries. And not only that, even Iran. Iran could hit us with their foreign nationals from two places. Remember, Iran controls two countries. I mean, really more than that. I would say Iraq, too, is a problem. And Iraq is not on the, um, the list, but Lebanon. And as we noted last, last month with this uh, um, Alexei Saab guy from, who was arrested in New Jersey, uh, working for Hezbollah's Commando Unit 910, surveilling American targets. These are kinetic guys. These aren't just like espionage guys. These are kinetic attackers. I am told that they have weapons. I, I'm told from very reliable sources that the Hezbollah Unit 910 operatives in this country have weapons caches because this has been discovered before, according to my source, um, in this country, that they could go kinetic at any time and start blowing things up. If we ever, God forbid, have a massive attack, it's likely not going to come from Sunni terrorists, although I'm going to get to that in a minute. It's going to come from Iranian Hezbollah operatives from Lebanon, maybe from Iran too. Lebanon, we still, I mean, we've let in 60,000 on green cards. I don't know how many foreign students we do have some, not as many as from Iran, but we definitely do have uh, since 9-11. And so this guy, you know, the Saab guy from September, he was uh, caught surveilling these targets and he was literally traveling back to Lebanon almost 10 times, engaging in like what we would do with our Green Berets at, at Fort Bragg, like commando style training while he was naturalizing and he eventually successfully did naturalize. Um, so, like, in, in other words, you know my view that even if somehow you could have vet out kinetic attackers, you can't vet out cultural subversion and, you know, all these guys that believe in jihad, which is <laughs> the majority of them, you know, that, that's not a matter of vetting. You need to shut off immigration from there. But our vetting well after 9-11, to be fair, these cases I'm talking about predated Trump, you know, when they actually happened, the indictments are recently, but, but you know, you would hope it's improved. But we didn't even vet out, like, kinetic guys in the same way that the 9-11 hijackers attacked us. So this guy I'm talking about today, this... uh. Hassan Zada, yabba dabba do. This Hassan Zada guy. So he's also being indicted, um, a for um, selling trade or uh, passing on trade secrets, but also for immigration fraud because he, um, he previously worked in. He 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 worked for defense contractors in Iran, and he served in their military. So he lied, obviously, and that's the immigration fraud. He lied on the applications he filled out over the years. And so they're, you know, indicting him on immigration fraud. But that's the thing. I mean, like, we have a freaking guy who served in the Iranian military and we didn't vet that out. And again, this guy is married to a person of interest who is named as person A in the complaint. She's not named, 
But she also came on a student visa, um, worked at the University of Michigan in a sensitive field. And um, she is she overstood her student visa and is in this country illegally. That's another thing. Tremendous amount of these countries. There was one ABC report from a few years ago that said there are 55,000 people who have overstayed their visas from countries of interest. Where's our promise to solve that? 23 years after that was codified into law in 1996, and uh, years after it was flagged by the 9-11 Commission as one of the biggest problems. But I just want to reiterate, I might have talked about this, but I'm going to reiterate another article of mine from three weeks ago from Saudi Arabia. Right? So Saudi Arabia, we officially have good relations with the government now. The government under MBS is officially fighting the Muslim Brotherhood and Al-Qaeda. But a lot of the people there, especially the ones who want to leave his persecution, will be the guys who believe in that. The direct cause of 9-11 was what? It was a bunch of guys, primarily Saudi nationals, obtaining visas and coming in the country, applying for flight school. Okay, that, that's, that's what happened. So as I noted in my article a couple of weeks ago, and maybe we spoke about this on the show as well, this guy had an F-2 visa, meaning he had a Saudi Arabian spouse, and he was brought in on a visa. This guy, Naif Abulaziz M. Aflaflajaj, <laughs> whatever. Um, he was given a visa. And in 2011, and he came in and used it to apply for flight training in Oklahoma. This guy, it turns out, we found from some sort of operation in Afghanistan. We found his fingerprints on an application to the Al-Farouk Al-Qaeda training camp in Afghanistan where the 9-11 hijackers trained. And we didn't vet that out. And he was let in and applied for flight training. Ten years after 9-11. Hey, may, may, maybe the... The stupid uh, Republican foreign policy establishment is right. Maybe we need to be in Afghanistan to get the fingerprints on the people we let into the country. But you know what? I have a better idea. How about you don't freaking let these guys into the country? And then you know what? You won't need to go to the Al-Farouk training camp in Afghanistan. And you know what? You could blow it up from the air, too. That's how stupid. Our government is. That's how stupid and short-sighted our focus is. We have drained our foreign policy and national security and military resources and intel and, and treasure and talent on what doesn't affect us, making things worse, and then on what directly does. Immigration, Chinese espionage, Iranian espionage, cultural subversion, all flowing through the sewer pipe of the immigration malware. We step on the gas pedal and have more immigration from all these areas than ever. Iran being the only recent change, thanks to the Trump um, moratorium. Uh, but before that, we had a tremendous amount. They're still in the country. 
We bring in roughly 150,000 foreign students from Middle Eastern countries. We have about 45,000 from Saudi Arabia. So there, even if you're not worried that MBS would try to, you know, engage in espionage. But what about this? You know, I know a lot of people that um, tried to work for a defense contractor or defense job, and they got turned down because they were Jewish and they had, they one time visited Israel or they had a kid doing a year study in Israel. I don't remember it, and you could look this up. Some of you might remember a couple of years ago, um, there was this wealthy guy who was a dentist, and he was willing to do like free dentistry for the military, the Navy, and they downright rejected it because he had a kid studying, I think, in Israel. It's a Jewish guy. Um, that That's how careful, and certainly under the Obama administration, very careful with Israel. And, and look, you know, to me, even an ally, and there was a, a history there, um, there were some issues, you know, to a certain certain baseline, I, I understand that you got to be careful. Um, you got to vet. But I'm just saying, like, it wasn't like, oh, like, you know, we found something problematic with you that gives us suspicion. It was like categorical. If you have ever visited Israel, I mean, you could be, you could be, you know, fifth generation American, but you visited Israel, you know, boom. Okay. We have millions immigrating from the countries that we are at war with islamic or chinese coming from there newly to america highly technical fields suspicious backgrounds wave them on in this is how screwed up our country is i didn't even get to the other part i wanted to get back into the bail we'll talk about that tomorrow they're having this this hearing in the House uh, Judiciary Committee on the need to reform bail, a.k.a. abolish bail and jailbreak. I have the most insane case. Thank you to one of our listeners for emailing this to me. This guy who um, is, a, is now suspected in brutally kidnapping and murdering um, the daughter of Blanchard, that big uh, UFC heavyweight star. I, I don't follow UFC, but those of you who do, you'll, you'll know what I mean. Blanchard, I'm forgetting his first name. Um, his daughter was found missing um, or was missing for a few weeks and they suspected a guy. Now they caught the guy. It turned out that guy just a couple weeks ago was no, no, no. I mean, in February, he was arrested in Alabama on. Br brutally kidnapping and beating someone to death and then brutally beating another person, but he didn't die. And then he had a massive rap sheet before that. Now, the bail might have been like 200,000. Now, I don't know if that means he had to post 200,000 or it's like 10% deal, which would have been even more egregious. But either way, we all agree that should be a guy held without bail. He was light out. But victims like Blanchard and his family and the UFC community that's really rallied around him, they won't have a voice. I just wanted to mention that to you. We'll go into that in more depth tomorrow. But now you get a flavor of why I have a little bit of a hard time getting hyped up about the soap opera and impeachment. We have civilization killing issues that call for a conservative vision, and we have none. We have none. Where is the William F. Buckley of our time? Where is the Phyllis Schlafly of our time? Don't tell me it's me. That's pretty pathetic if it has to be someone like me. There's got to be more people. But we're going to build this movement together. You guys are already a big help in um, sending me some of this 
information, some of these stories that I haven't seen. They're very, very important. Um, again, please send this show to at least 50 of your friends and family, whatever email distribution list you have, send it out. Subscribe to our YouTube channel in addition to iTunes. Make sure to see this through video. That's how we're going to get more exposure. Email me, dharwitz at blazemedia anytime. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being vigilant.